Um, we're going to be uh, ending here in Second in Timothy chapter four, and um, I've I've enjoyed First and Second Timothy. Maybe you haven't as much as I have, but I've enjoyed First and Second Timothy because it's uh, there's a lot of pastoral things in these two books, and just some good solid teaching, and uh, I like that. So uh, one of the major themes of Second Timothy is this faithfulness to God's word. How many know that we need to have faithfulness to God's word? And as a matter of fact, we can see it in the breakdown of the chapters of chapter 1. I'll just do a quick little review. It's, it's Paul tells Timothy to what? Stir up the gift uh, that is in him by the laying on of hands. Um, remember, he talked about his grandmother and his uh, mother laying hands on him. It's important, parents. Pray for your kids. Uh, you know what? Sometimes I, I will go into my kids' room at night when they're when they're laying there sleeping, and I will lay hands on them, not and won't be shout or anything like, but just lay hands on them and begin to pray that God would protect them, that God would be with them, that He would direct them, and I think that that's that's very important. And here we see that in Scripture. So uh, one of the one of the main themes there in chapter one is God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. So if you're walking in fear, you're not walking in something that God created you to walk in. And so God has not given us a, a spirit of fear. And this is something I think that young Timothy needed to hear. And, and he would say this, Timothy is not according to the works, but for the purpose of the grace of God. That's, that's why you're doing ministry. Paul would say that. Chapter 2, he says this, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus and spread the word among faithful men. And then he, he, here's a common theme that we see in First in and Second Timothy, endure hardship. How many know that sometimes things are hard? How many know that life sometimes just throws you a curveball that you did not expect? And, and, uh, so, and so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you're going to be in ministry. You're going to face some circumstances sometimes, and some things are going to come at you. And it may seem a little odd, but, um, but Paul, uh, we see, suffers trouble over and over and over, but the word of God is not chained down to his trouble. So Paul sees through it. He says, you know, problems come, but God's word is free from these things. And so uh, the last part of that chapter, it says this, flee from youth, youthful lust. And that just means turn away from, I mean, run. You got you to gotta be like Joseph and, and when Potiphar's wife, you know, came on to him. You got to run, 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 run. Everyone say run, run, run. And then it goes on to say this, foolish disputes, and, and uh, talks about foolish disputes and, and correcting others in humility. Something that's important in ministry when there needs to be correction, it needs to be done in truth and in love and in humility. And, and that's important. A lot of people have been corrected at times and chastised and maybe not in humility. And sometimes that can sting and leave a lot of pain in a lot of people. So it's important as, as ministers to do that. Chapter 3. Uh, we talked about last week, which is just a, a, a beautiful chapter. It talks about perilous times will come in the last days. Praise the Lord. Uh, nobody got, no, I didn't get any amens on that one. And we broke that down, down last week. Men will sin willfully. People will be gullible to false teachers. And those uh, who follow Christ are going to endure suffering and persecution. Another common theme that we hear in First and Second Timothy. You're going to go through some things. But, everyone say But. Persist in the truth. Persist in the truth. And that truth is the word of God, and it's divinely inspired. I mean, 
I love that part of that uh, chapter. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, and instruction. I broke those down last week. And so chapter 4, it starts with, with this, this theme. I like it. If you need a subheading, it is this. Preach the word. Everyone say, preach the word. So when we preach the word, we are to speak the truth. Not my truth, God's truth. There's a fallacy in this world as, well, my truth is this. It doesn't matter. What did God say? Amen. And so, uh, so we have to be a truth speaker. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, you need to be a truth speaker. You need to be a truth teacher. You need to be a, a truth reveal, revealer in your ministry. And so Paul also encourages Timothy uh, one final time to endure the work of the ministry. So uh, this is interesting. This is the last bit of recorded writing that we have of Paul. He's, he's about to go to his death. And so this is a, a picture of, uh, of Paul's last moments, really. I mean, it could have been his last few days. It could have been, I don't know how when he wrote this in, in, in congruence to when he was beheaded. But um, it's interesting to see people's perspective before they, they die. How many have ever known someone that was about to die? And, and the words that they say and the things that they choose to say are very calculated and, and you know, usually... Things that won't matter, they don't talk about things that do matter. They get straight to the point about. So I like this. So, so the subheading here is preach the word. Verse four, or, or Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul, basically here, he's validating the importance of his command to Timothy by calling on God and Jesus to be witnesses to it. So... Uh, there's there's a little validity to that. So Jesus will return in judgment. How many how many know we know that he's going to come? So he gives Timothy and and, and I and, and all of us instruction. Look at this, verse two. I like this. Preach the word. Everyone say preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. If there's a verse that every minister needs to know and needs to have, it's this one right here. And need to circle that. I don't know. You need to highlight that in your Bible. And this is one that I come back to quite often because it is a litmus test. And I, and I can look at something that I've done, you know, as a pastor and go, uh, did, was it one of these things? And did I, did I do that with patience? And, and was I, did I have the right attitude? So Look at this. Paul mentioned seven things for Timothy and us for and for us to follow. So, number one, preach the word. Uh, the foundation to any ministry, the foundation to any any ministry is the word of God. Okay, the word of God. Um, it's not prophecy. It is the written word of God, the logos. Okay, I believe in Rhema words, but the logos written word. Listen, God does not, he does not go against his word. He will not go against his word. And so it's important that we know that. So you can stand on the truth of God's word. Amen. You, you know why some people lose their footing in Christianity? Because they don't have themselves grounded in the word of God. And that's, that's literally the truth. Oftentimes uh, as we walk, we, we lose our footing sometimes. And I've found in my life that when I lose my footing or when I, when I get in a place that's shaky, I find that I'm not in this book like I need to be. And so 
Um, uh, preaching God's word is, is, is sacred and a task that requires perseverance and courage. Can I tell you something? Sometimes there's certain things in scripture that I don't want to preach about, but I have to preach about them in perseverance and in strength because, and in courage because it's what the Lord says, it's not what I say. And, you know, and I, I say, I say, I've said this the last few weeks, especially in Timothy, the word of God should offend you at some point in your walk. It should. It should rub you wrong sometimes because your motives aren't always right. They aren't always perfect. We, we could pray about it. But there's sometimes I read the word of God and I'm like, man, Lord, I did not want to hear that right now because I want to be mad at this person. Uh, oh, come on, somebody, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it's, I'm going to tell myself, the other day I went to a restaurant to pick up food for, uh, for something that we had going on. And in the process of going to pick up this food, they were about 45 minutes late on the time that I was supposed to get my food. And I was very, very aggravated with the process. How many know what I'm talking about? And I was trying to be long-suffering. I was trying to be patient like it says there in verse 2. And I was upset, and I was sitting in the car, and my, my dear wife was with me, and she's, she's just cool as a cucumber. And there I am, and I'm like, okay, I've, I've waited long enough. I'm going to go inside and say something to these people. I won't tell you this place of business, okay, um, because I just don't think that's right. And I went to go in to say something, and I got out of the car, and halfway into this, this place, I looked down, and I had my cornerstone shirt on. True story. And I said, God, I wasn't going to represent you well there. And I turned around and got back in the car, and my wife said, what happened? I said, the Holy Spirit, that's what happened. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my hope. This world has a lot of wisdom and a lot of things, but I, I could care less about anything. All I need to know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. So here's the next portion of that. It says, be ready in season and out of season. And, um, you know, really, if you break that word, be ready, in the, in the Greek there, it means to take a stand. Take a stand. Um, and Paul's saying this, Timothy, be alert at all times. Be alert at all your responsibilities, uh, even when it's inconvenient. How many know sometimes ministry is not convenient? When I was going into that establishment the other day, it was not convenient because I wanted to be mad. I wanted to let somebody know. And, and But God's like, oh, you better watch yourself, mister. I'm teaching you something. And, and, and maybe that was inconvenient for me because, you know, I, I wanted the flesh got a little bit. Uh, and, and the ministry... Is not always convenient. I don't get to pick when people call me in the middle of the night and say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Can you come to the hospital? And sometimes we don't get those, those options. And you know what happens usually when I'm tired? That's when the ministry heats up. Come on. When I'm, when I'm growing a little bit weary, that's when it gets, we get going. And you know what that forces me to do? to lean into the Lord. And, and that's how we are ready in season and out of season. We don't, we don't lean in our own, own ability or our own desires, our own flesh, but we lean into the Lord and the Lord carries us. So um, it says this, this kind of ministry is, is um, and Paul's saying this, this kind of ministry is not for the novice or, 
or the weak at heart. You know, if, in matter of fact, in James uh, chapter 3, it says, you know, not everybody needs to be a teacher because it's not for everybody. Right? So um, here's the thing. Uh, pre- preach when it's convenient and easy, and you got to preach when it's tough and it seems impossible. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, it, it, it can be really easy and convenient, and sometimes, man, it can seem impossible. You know, sometimes I feel like Jeremiah. Don't look at them in the eyes. Just keep going. Just keep preaching, you know. <laughs> so sometimes that happens. Here's, here's number uh, uh, number uh, four, I think. Reprove. I don't know if this is number four. I lost my place here. Oh, no. Maybe I'm wrong here. Reprove. Everyone say reprove. And that means to admonish or to convict or convince. Another way of saying that is reprimand, turn away, and persuade. Okay, reprimand, turn away, and persuade. Um, uh, it means this, to provide correction to those who are in error. <clears throat> I'm not always right. And neither are you. And there's moments where I need correction, whether that's through the Holy Spirit telling me not to go into the store because I wore the shirt that I've got on, or it's by a person when, you know, Walking into that establishment, maybe it's a church person in there, and I'm like, hey, hey, hey. you know, the Holy Spirit's telling me, hey, you gotta, you gotta be corrected. And there's, there's times where I make mistakes. I'm human, right? And you're human, and we make mistakes. So Paul echoes uh, this. He's, he's saying to, to rebuke or reprove, and, and, and he's echoing what he said in First Timothy five twenty. So, reproving is important in growing of the saints. You want to grow. Sometimes you, you, you need to be reproved, and you need to be checked, and you need to be reprimanded at times. And I'm not saying that's all the time, um, but I, I'm just saying sometimes I need to adjust myself, and sometimes I need to hear it from somebody who, who could speak into me and say, you know what, I got a bad attitude, or I, I'm not in the right frame of mind here. So here's, here's the next one, rebuke. And to rebuke is this, to speak out against what is wrong. And that's a simple way to say it, to speak out uh, against what is wrong. The Greek term translated as rebuke uh, it, in this context means to scold or correct. Literally, that's, I mean, that's another way to say it, speak out. What do you do when your kid does something wrong? You rebuke them. You, you, you fix it right then and there, or you, you try to. Or you're like, when we get out of this store, mister, or, and, you know, it's always my boys. It's never my daughter. When we get out of this store, mister, we're, we're going to have a talk, you know, or whatever. So you have to... To correct, so that happens in the minister. In the ministry, here's another one: exhort. I like this one. Whew. Get, get past the the reprove and the rebuke and get to the exhort. I, that's the, I like that one. Exhort is this: to encourage, to build up, to instruct, to teach. And exhortation is is important in growing ministry. I don't know about you. I love it when someone just speaks life into me. I do. I, I I love it when someone just, just, just. I mean, whether they mean it or not, they just come up, they say something, and you're just like, man, I needed to hear that today. Thank you for for sharing that with me. I, I, I just needed that that little bit of exhortation today, just to to strengthen me. That little bit of encouragement today. I got a call, or I made a call, for a guy to do some work on something that we have going on here at the church. And he said, is this for a church? And I said, yeah, I was telling him where it was at. He goes, oh, I know where that church is at. And then he just began to talk to me and talk to me. 
and talk to me. And 30 minutes later, you know, he had exhorted to me a lot. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, but I need to get off the phone because I, I've got some other things I need to do. But he exhorted and he strengthened me. And he said, hey, pastor, I'm praying for you. He goes, and you, you, you stick with what you're doing and, and, and keep going the way that you're going. Here's the next one, patience. Everyone say patience. Timothy, preach with patience. Um, for those in leadership, and especially when, when faced with opposition, this can be extremely difficult. I, I, when you work with people, whew, man, sometimes you got to have some, some big patience. Matter of fact, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Not one that I particularly like, but it's one that I need, right? Patience. Uh, uh, patience, despite frustrations... Is, is meant to be a hallmark of a Christian of the Christian faith. So as a minister, you know how I know I'm growing? When I've developed patience in circumstances that I wouldn't have had before. So that's a good way to look at that. Everyone say patience. Here's the next one, teaching. Um, you know, preaching of the word should include teaching. There's a difference. And that word teaching is referring to instruction. This is kind of more what you get here on a Wednesday night. It's more instruction. And matter of fact, if you want to know the difference between um, preaching and teaching is preaching is for the lost, teaching is for the believer. That's it. So preaching is for the lost. You know, we preach Jesus and him crucified, and, and but teaching is for the believer to build up. So um, and it, Paul's saying this, you got to include both emotion and intellect and training believers to follow God's truth. So that, that comes. So, so there are these things, and I said that earlier, I have to go back and compare myself. So verse 3 says this, I promise, we'll, 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 get, we'll get cranking here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Boy, I think we're there. But having what? Anybody ever itch your ears like this? Itching ears. Uh, itching ears, and they will, what, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Boy, we see a lot of that. You know what? You don't like teaching in one church, you can go to the next, right? You don't like preaching in one place, you can get on YouTube, find some, somebody that agrees with you. Come on, somebody. Doesn't mean you're right, but you can find somebody that agrees with you, right? So, you know, I, I think this is interesting. Paul gives these seven things for Timothy to preach about, and then then here in verse 3 and 4, he says, this is why you need to teach this way because of these things that are about to happen. You know, time's coming when people will, will not endure sound teaching. Matter of fact, it seems like we live in a topsy-turvy world. The more truth we speak, the more the, the society looks at us and say, you're backwards. And I'm like, no, you're backwards. Um, and so, you know, people will find for themselves and, and teachers that suit their passions. And so... Paul says this, Timothy, young Timothy, be alert. Be alert, minister. Be alert, believer. And be ready to preach the word of God. So sound teaching is important to spiritual maturity. It is. But, but here's the thing. It won't always be tolerated. It won't always be tolerated. And so Paul's talking about that. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, the teaching uh, here on Wednesday night, it's too slow. It's too boring. It doesn't always... Make me feel good. Well, here's the deal. You know, the Word of God I, I'm challenges you. It pushes you. You know what? When I exercise, I don't always feel good when I exercise. But when I get done exercising, my body's like, hey, yay, TJ, good job. I needed that. You needed that. 
And the scripture says this, that there will be a time where people will seek out teachers to them um, what they want to hear and what makes them feel good. Verse 4 says, people will avoid truths and turn their ears from the truth. That's a sad state, isn't it? I'm going to avoid the truth. I don't, I don't need to know the truth. I'm going to follow this lie. The devil is what? A liar. And he is the father of all lies. And so we, we have to, to know what is a truth and what is a lie. And, and honestly, in this time, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you ought to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit because discernment is important in this season. And I don't know about you, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I, boy, he keeps me out of a lot, a lot of problems and a lot of troubles. And honestly, this is the, the sixth time that Paul uses the word truth in this little four-chapter book. Six times he says truth. And in um, 1 Timothy, he says it five times. So 11 times in these two little epistles, he talks about the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth. And so if you see it once in Scripture, pay attention. You see it twice, really pay attention. You see it three times, really. You see it 11 times, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. So Paul, you know, and um, is in prison here, and he's encouraging Timothy because uh, he was concerned with Timothy being tempted, you know, when he departs. When, when Paul leaves this earth, he's worried about Timothy maybe being pulled one direction or another. He's just trying to pour into him the last little bit that he could pour into him. Um, so verse 5 says this, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul talking to Timothy here, be sober-minded. Uh, if you have a King James Version, it probably says watchful. Um, and uh, this version, the ESV says sober-minded. So there is something to be said of being sober-minded and one's ability to be watchful. Right? If you're not sober-minded, you're not going to be very watchful of what's happening. Leviticus uh, 10, 9 and 10, God describes the world as, as being drunk with the wine of Babylon's fornication. Well, there's a good study for you right there, right? And, and they are people who are in no condition to serve God because they cannot think straight spiritually for themselves. And, and they think that they're in control when they are not. How many have ever seen those kind of people before? And, and here's the thing. Spiritually, that's dangerous, when you think you're in control, but you're not in control, and, 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 they, and here's the thing, they cannot be holy, and they attempt to serve him in immorality and unethically, and, and that's a writing right there that, that I just read there was by John W. Rittenball, which is a, a great commentator. He, he wrote that about Leviticus 9 and 10 there, so, and he says this, Paul says this, goes on, he says, endure suffering, everyone say endure suffering. You know what happens when we do ministry? Sometimes it gets heavy. Sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes there are days I don't, I don't, you know, you don't want to get up and do ministry. I'll never forget the very first funeral I ever did, um, ever, was I, 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 I was serving as associate pastor, and the pastor said, hey, can you go to the hospital and see this young man who's in the hospital? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I went there, didn't know this young man from anybody, I just knew his name. I walked in, and I called his name, and all the family was sitting there, and they said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm the associate pastor of this church, and I just I wanted to come and pray with you guys. And they said, that would be great. They did, they did not attend church. They were not church people. And I went in there, and I prayed with him. And 
And honestly, I, I just prayed that God, and I came back the next day, prayed with him. And within three days, this young kid who was about 18 years old, just graduated from high school, passed away. And, and I remember thinking, um, I was just like, man, this is, this is, this is tough. Well, they didn't have a pastor, so what do they do? They called the guy that came and prayed with their son. They said, hey, can you, can you do his funeral? And I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this. And, and I, I called my pastor, and I said, hey, why don't you do this? And he said, you can do this. And, you know, he kind of instructed me and, and helped me out. And I'll never forget there uh, that day, you know, getting up to do his funeral and, 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 and going to meet with the family. That, that, those days, I'll, I'll never forget. I thought, man, I don't want to be in the ministry today. I don't want to speak to these three or 400 people here that are here for this teenage kid's funeral. And I, how am I, who am I to impute into them? And it's just one of those days. So in the ministry, sometimes it's, it's tough. But look at this. Look at verse, um, the ministry has its own rewards. And, and we'll talk about that in verse 8. Uh, the next portion that Paul says is do the work of an evangelist. Um, the evangelist is one of the fivefold ministries mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. And an evangelist, they equip, they encourage believers to share the good news. So go fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Hey, it may get tough, but keep doing the work. It may be tough, but keep doing the work. Verse 6, for I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And so being poured out as a drink offering refers to pouring out of wine in an altar in a sacrificial manner. And the Greek word for departure, it, it's a really great one. It can refer to this. I love this. This is a beautiful picture. Uh, the Greek word for departure there is the lifting of an anchor or the unyoking of an ox or the unfolding of a tent or I'll put it in modern terms for you or the taking off of your shoes after a long day. Come on, somebody, right? You feel that weight come off of you. And Paul's saying, hey, my departure is about the weight of this world is coming off of me, and I'm about to sail into glory. Uh, it's a beautiful picture. Um, but Paul is really saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to lift anchor. I'm ready to go from this life to the next. I've been plowing here on earth a long, long, long time, and I'm ready to move on. So anchor's up and sail into heaven. And, I mean, what a beautiful picture. Verse 7 says this. Oh, we all know this, right? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Think about this. Paul had, had seen a lot of things. Paul had been diligent in ministry. And he didn't make these comments until the end of his race, till he knew. he was. You didn't see him write about this in Romans. You didn't see him write about this in Corinthians or anything like that. No, he's waiting. So he fought the good fight. I engaged in conflict, spiritually speaking. I, 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 I fought the good fight, not physically, but a spiritual battle. And um, they may have ended in his life, but think about this. Paul was beheaded almost 2,000 years ago. Guess who I'm talking about tonight? What an impact that Paul has made on, on you today, even right now. It's like, it's like, I use this illustration at funerals sometimes. It's like when you throw a stone into a pond and there, you see the ripples, and these ripples just keep going and going and going. You're feeling the ripples of Paul's ministry right now. That's amazing, right? Uh, man, I say, hey, I have fought the good fight. Here's the next one. I have finished the race. Not only did he fight a good fight, but he finished the race that he was to run. Um, his race started on the Damascus Road. 
He started blind. <laughs> and, and listen, he's still, filled, still being felt today, and, and, and his victory cry is still being taught, and it resonates today. Here's the next, uh, uh, you know, finish the race. Um, not only did he fight the good fight, he finished the race. Um, approximately 33 years he served in ministry, give or take. There may be a year there, but most, most scholars believe he died in 64 A.D. Most people believe it was 31 A.D. that he had his Damascus Road experience. So for 33 years, he gave it all for the Lord. He would be beheaded. He dealt with shipwrecks, persecution, beatings, being thrown in prison, being falsely accused. And here's the thing. He, uh, unlike uh, the song... Uh, um, home on the range, he never mur murmured a discouraging word. Man, I, I won't be like Paul. <laughs> and, and he kept his eyes fixated on Jesus Christ, and he didn't worry about what was happening here, and he's like, Jesus has got me this whole way. I've kept the faith. Everyone say, kept the faith. So to understand this, let's, let's back up to verse 5 of, of 2 Timothy 4. In this verse, Paul writes, but, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Because of Paul's faith, Paul experienced persecution, and he wrote to the church in Rome, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, can anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or, or, or danger, or sword, as it is written, because... Of you, you are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than what? Victorious or conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul understood, hey, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm still victorious. Maybe physically I'm getting beat. Maybe I'm in prison. I'm victorious. I'm victorious because of Jesus. And so and now his death is looming, and, and Paul's uh, future doesn't look good. His faith didn't trip uh, up a little bit. He kept the faith. He, he stuck with it. Hey, I'm going through. I am going all the way through with this thing. Let me ask you this. What about you? When it gets difficult, are you, are you quick to run? Does your faith stay strong, or do you hunker down in anxiety or do you begin to doubt God's promises or do you praise him in the storm I, I love that so verse 8 says this henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness -hoo -hoo -hoo. here's the reward I ain't worried about what's happening here on earth it's later on which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day not only will I get a crown but guess what my crown gonna come from the Lord hey good job well done uh, thy good and faithful servant right and and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing so Paul understood eternal things here's my problem sometimes I get stuck in the here and now Sometimes I have to remind myself, hey, I'm just a pilgrim passing through this land. My goal is heaven. It is. That's my goal. I'm just going through this land, and I'm going to do everything I can for the service of, uh, and spend my life faithfully serving Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll, but at the end of the day, you know what matters? Not what happens here, but what happens there. The crown of righteousness is a special reward given to those who serve God faithfully on, on this earth. 
And, and there will be many crowns for all those who finish the race well. Some of you got crowns waiting on you. Some of you have done things unselfishly where no one knew for the Lord's sake. No one saw it. No one knew. We didn't talk about it. We didn't put it up on the big screen, whatever the case. But God's a good record keeper. And he said, oh, I saw that. Good job. So, uh, and, and I like this. The next portion says, loved his appearing are those who kept the hope of his return. I don't know about you. I'm excited about Jesus' return. I talked about this. I always talk about this. I, I, I love the fact that, that Jesus is going to return one day. I pray that he comes in my lifetime. I, I, I sincerely, Paul believed that, and I talked about that uh, last week, and I said, you know, Paul, he believed that he would come in his lifetime. Well, he didn't come in his lifetime, you might say. Well, that's great. Paul believed that. Uh, uh, Martin Luther believed that. I talked about this. Um, and, and I can go down the list of, of minister after minister throughout history who thought they would see the return of Jesus. And let me tell you something. I, uh, my hope is that Jesus would return. And even if he doesn't come in my life, I'll live a life looking for the hope of Jesus' return. Amen? So Luke 12 tells us that Jesus, uh, this is interesting, will serve a meal to those who are watching for his coming. I want to be in that mill. I want to be first in line if I can. So, and I say, what a day that'll be. Here's the, here's the second part of this is this personal instruction. So Paul, he goes from, from talking to him. So now I'm going to give you a little bit of personal instruction, Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon for Demas in, in, in love with this present world. So Demas is mentioned in two other books in the New Testament that Paul wrote about. Philemon 24, it says Demas is referred to as a fellow laborer. So Paul says, hey, fellow laborer Demas. But then a few years later in Colossians, Paul would say, hey, Demas greets you. So he didn't call him a fellow laborer anymore. He says, hey, he just greets you. And then here we see that he is uh, falling in love with the present world. And so we see uh, this perpetual process where he's going He's close, and he's slowly walking away from the faith. And so here in 2 Timothy, we read that Demas has forsaken or left Paul altogether. And, and honestly, this is proof that there's a risk, um, even while being used by the Lord, that you can drift away from him. Okay? And it's important. Um, it, it happened to Demas, so don't let it happen to you. Um, I asked a wise pastor many years ago. Pastor who, who pastored a very successful church. He went on to be with the Lord. But when I was young, I was probably like 20. Whoa, there we go. 18, 19, 20 years old. Boy, that just thundered right there. I wish I was 20 again. 20, 20. No. Um, but I asked this pastor, I said, what, what is the key to ministry? He had served in ministry for years. And I said, can you, can you just give me, you know, what is the key to ministry? And he looked at me and he said these words. And, and I, I have never forgot this. And he said, yeah, I'll tell you what, what. He said, trust God and love people. And then he said this, and don't get them mixed up. And I was like, Whew. how many have ever, um, I've learned this in ministry, people will let you down. Even the most uh, 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 well-intended people, there are going to be times where, where people will let you, that's okay, right? That's why we have patience. That's why we have grace. 
you know what, continue to love them through it. But, but, first, but first and foremost, put your trust in God instead of people. Amen. And so I, I, just, I had to share that little wise nugget that that pastor gave me. So, uh, so Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The King James Version says he's having loved the present world. Um, don't k- get caught up in the entertainment, the distractions of this world. It's easy to do, right? The world moves so fast today. The society moves so fast. It's ever-changing quickly. Um, and here's the thing I've learned. Those things will distract you and pull you away from serving the Lord. Subtly, little by little. And, and sometimes when you step away from those things for a while, hey, I, I, I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you have social media, uh, there's nothing wrong with social media. Back off of it for a little bit. It, it's okay. It, I mean, you'd be surprised how much time that you may be spending on social media, how controlling it can be of, of your life. I'm not saying, listen, nothing wrong with social media. Listen, I, people that use it in the right way, encourage people, love on people, uh, speak Jesus through your social media, do all those things. I think that's important. But, but here's the thing. The world will send distractions, and that can be one of those distractions. Mark 8.36 says this, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I don't care if you have 10 million subscribers on YouTube. What good is it if they all follow you and you lose your soul in the process? So Demas could not endure the hardship of ministry and had and followed the world. Um, and then Crescens had, had gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful for me for ministry. This is interesting. Um, uh, Crescens was a teacher that Paul sent to preach to the Galatians. Titus, uh, whose name also means honorable, was sent to preach to an area near the Adriatic Sea, near southern Italy or present-day Croatia. So according to Paul, Titus was tough, and he was up for the challenge. He saw something in Titus and said, hey, you've got this, run with it. And uh, he was one of uh, Paul's spiritual sons, just like Timothy was. So Luke, the writer of the third gospel, we see here, he's a physician, was with Paul at this moment. It's kind of interesting. And Colossians 4.14 talks about how Luke went with Paul on a second missionary journey. So was it because Paul had some sort of health issue? I don't know. It's interesting. We never really thought about it or or really think about it. But he is with him doing ministry. Uh, Timothy, get Mark or John Mark. And bring him with you when you come and see me. The same John Mark who Barnabas was patient with. And Paul, <laughs> all right, Paul refused to go, uh, refused him to go with him on his second missionary um, journey after a small dispute concerning John Mark in Acts chapter 15. How do you remember that story? And Paul and Barnabas are going together, and Barnabas loves on John Mark, and he says, listen, we've got to be patient with this guy, Paul. And Paul says, listen, he's got to toughen up if he's going to be in the ministry, and so he can't come with us. And they split ways. And um, Barnabas, his name means son of uh, a consolation, was focused on rehabilitating and encouraging his nephew, John Mark, and Paul quickly replaced Barnabas with Silas and went to work. So who was right in this process? Yes. I'll tell you why. Paul, who said the work is too important to take a risk on someone who might turn away from the faith, and Barnabas said this, 
we need to work with anyone who shows even a little bit of potential. I don't think either one of them, they both were right in their eyes. But here, they both were right. They both had vision and they both had purpose. One was for the work at large and one was for the work of an individual. How many know that these both are important? These two groups don't always see eye to eye, but they need each other. They do. They need each other. So here Paul is asking for John Mark after, after sending him away. Say, hey, send John Mark to me. He is beneficial to me now. And so, uh, and so he's seeing the success. And so, so we know that Barnabas did a good thing with this young John Mark. And I love that. Verse 12 says this. Tychicus, if you need a dog name, there you go. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Uh, when you come, bring bring the cloak that I left with with the carpus and and Troas, also the books. So Tychicus he sent to Ephesus to preach, and and you know Paul's getting old here because he's forgetting things. He forgot his books and he forgot his cloak, and he's saying bring those things. He asked me, uh, he asked Timothy to bring those things, and so the books here in the Greek uh, uh, biblion is the word could very much refer to the gospel writings. Um, bring them to me. Uh, the gospel, uh, my days are numbered, and the exam is coming up, so bring those things to me. And it's been said, you know a man's passion with what he does uh, with his time when he, when he doesn't have anything to do. When you, don't have, when you have a down day, what do you do? That's probably your passion. I sleep. Well, that's probably your passion. I eat. That's probably your passion. <laughs> I think that's interesting. So Paul didn't do anything, uh, didn't have anything to do, so he wasn't teaching. He wasn't preparing a sermon outline. He wasn't, and, and even though the hour is coming quickly for him, he, he hoists up the anchor, and he takes off the yoke, and he says, I want to know more about Jesus, so bring them books. And above all, the parchments, the next portion, the Greek word here, um, it, it says, especially bring the parchments, which is most likely referring to the Old Testament scrolls. So Paul, Paul was requesting the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think that's interesting. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So Paul didn't always have something good to say about everybody. Uh, I'll say this. Everybody in here has an uh, Alexander coppersmith in your life, whether you realize it or don't realize it. Maybe you have two or three. Some of you say, Pastor, I got four or five Alexander Coppersmiths in my life. People who are just out to get you. Paul, he didn't say, hey, he didn't say, Lord, you get him, or he didn't fume, he didn't whine about him. He just said, Lord, the Lord will deal with him justly in time. So, hey, I'm going to leave that in, in, in your arms, Lord. Um, and then he says this to Timothy, beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. And verse 16 at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And so in accordance with Matthew 5.44, Paul prayed this, Lord, forgive those who didn't have the courage to stand by me or stay with me, like what Jesus said. So, Lord, I forgive them. Anybody ever let you down? Forgive them. That's it. And I mean, when people do that, just forgive them and, and move on. And, and, and build a bridge, get over it, like I said, you know, verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Whew. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Even though Alex, I mean, Alexander the coppersmith, 
People deserted me. People messed me over in the ministry. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Hey, you're going to have people forsake you because of your faith in Christ. And if you do, you are in good company. Paul was forsaken by many, but, but it, was, uh, it was in his loneliness that he had the awareness of the Lord's presence. What are you saying? How often is that our case? If where we feel down uh, by a friend who ignores us, well, you, te- some, you, know, you text someone, they don't text you back right away, or they don't call you back right away, and you're like, man, are they mad at me? And you, you've, you made this big old huge thing in your mind, right, for whatever. Or they're ignoring you and they let you down and you feel disheartened and you illness strikes or whatever the case and you feel abandoned and no one's around. But what happens when all of those different things, relationships are pushed to the side and I get alone in those moments and I feel lonely, that's when the Lord says, you. I, I, can, I can lift you up with my strong right arm. And when I feel the most alone, abandoned by people, that's when the Lord is the closest. And I believe because uh, the, of the distractions of being pushed away, we were more concerned about what people are or are not doing for us rather than saying, God, I put my trust in you and you alone. So I'm going to give you a little bit of wisdom here. Um, some of your journeys are going to be uh, alone with the Lord at times. There's there's parts of your journey where you're just going to be walking alone with the Lord. And here's the thing. When you're in those moments, maybe he designed it that way so that you would trust him and not man. Now, we need each other. I, I believe this is the body. This is where we lift each other up. I, that is important. But sometimes you may have to go down a dark journey by yourself. And it just happens that way. So, Next bit of this says that, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So um, he's in prison and he's continuing to preach. How is he continuing to preach? Through the epistles that he's wrote, through conversations that he's sharing with jailers and people there. And he's saying this, the Lord stood by me and I had the strength and the hope to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the worst uh, circumstances. And it says this, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul gets a little bit preachy here. He gets a little bit excited, and then he says, amen. He wants you to amen him right there. And I believe Paul sincerely believed that the Lord would deliver him out of Nero's hands. I really do. I believe he had his trust in him. And honestly, I believe up until the moment that he died, he thought the rapture could happen or, or Nero could fall over or whatever the case. But whether or not God delivered him, Paul knew that one way or the other, he would soon be in the presence of the Lord. One way or the other. I don't know about you. I was, I was reading this. Revelation twenty two twenty says, even so, Lord, come quickly. It's my prayer. It's my hope. Lord, you know, if it's not time for you to come, that's fine. But, Lord, if it is your time, come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go. Uh, the, next, the last part of this bit of, uh, of this chapter is this final greeting. Final greeting, and this is a subheading here if you want to write that down. Verse 19. So it says, greet uh, Prisca and Aquila. And the household of Onesiphorus, there's a good dog name for you right there, Onesiphorus. How many remember me talking about Onesiphorus before? 
um, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left uh, uh, Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. So uh, Prisca is another name for Priscilla. And how many remember the story of Priscilla and Aquila, the tent makers? You know who else was a tent maker? Paul. And so they, th- those were his people and, and how they um, strengthened him there in his second missionary journey. And the tent makers, um, uh, they, they were with him and they blessed him. They helped him in his ministry in Ephesus. So Onesiphorus and, and his household meant that, that Timothy was probably still in Ephesus. So Paul, he is, he is there in Nero or there with, in Rome, and Timothy is still in Ephesus. Or, or Onesiphorus was from there. Um, we talked about him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Um, Trophimus is a member of the church of Ephesus who had traveled to Jerusalem with Paul. Okay, he went on, on a missionary journey, and he was sick, and Paul left him. Paul just left people sometimes, you know, he's sick. He, but notice this, uh, you know, Paul didn't say, hey, Troph- Trophimus, where's your faith? Why aren't you healed? And I'm sure Paul prayed for him. And here's the, here's the deal. Some were healed, and some were not by Paul. Sometimes God heals people today, and sometimes God does not. I don't know why. I'm not God. But Tro- Trophimus was one who was who was not healed. So those who say that God wants everyone healed immediately have never read this verse, obviously. So um, I think there's a little bit of wisdom there. Verse 21, um, do your best to come before winter. Do your best to come to Indiana before winter. He, he understood something about winter. <laughs> Amen. Everyone says snow and the rain and the ice. and Eubulus. Um, uh, sends greetings to you, and so does uh, Pudens and Linus and Claudia, uh, and all the brothers. So um, I can relate to this to this not wanting to travel in the winter time. Most people up here go to Florida for the winter, right? And most people that live in Florida want to come up here in the summertime or maybe in the fall. You know, um, and uh, what would happen here is they would shut down sea travel, so Timothy's window was short to maybe get on a boat to go see. Uh, Paul, and so he, he's trying to just put a little fire under him. So either way, Paul's saying, come come as quick as possible. And um, verse 22 says this, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. So um, as we come to the end of this second letter to Timothy, we see Paul's last recorded words that, that we know of. And it can be summed up like this. Okay, if we were to take these two books and kind of maybe condense them, is after all I said about the end times in which you'll be living and the challenge of the ministry you're undertaking, everything can be summed up in one word, grace. All the hardship, all of that can be summed up in one word. Uh, one word. So uh, a fitting conclusion of, of a man of God and his faithful service to the Lord. And, and it's interesting here. That grace be with you is is a pronoun. We know about pronouns in our society, right? Is a pronoun, but that word you there is plural, not singular. Grace be with you all. Y'all, as they say in the South, y'all, the plural form of you. Um, and, And which is either means that Paul is writing to a group of people, or he intended this to be read to a, the congregation at Ephesus at some point. And you know what I love about that? You know, grace is for 
all of y'all. It's for all of us. The Lord be with you and grace be with you. And grace is this. You've heard me say it over and over and over. And Paul, man, I love Paul because he he is the he speaks about grace over and over and over. Grace is unmerited favor of God upon you. And Paul saying, Timothy, may God's favor, unmerited favor, be upon you and your ministry there in Ephesus. And, and, and he's saying to you and to me today, may God's unmerited favor be upon you, people of Cornerstone. And he's saying, hey, uh, may God's grace be on anybody that needs his grace. I don't know about you. I, I love this, this, this last little thing. I've, I've determined in my life I need, I need two things, the Lord and his grace. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, I've given you a lot of instructions, but in the end, you need the Lord, Timothy, and you need God's grace. How many are thankful for God's grace? Amen. I, I'm so grateful for his grace. Um, I, I really have enjoyed um, these two books, probably because they're, they're kind of uh, guides for ministry, and uh, they've been challenging to me, and I pray they have been challenging to you. I've been praying about the direction to go from this point on. This is our 13th book that we've went through since I've been here. And um, we're gonna, you're going to read the Bible one way or the other. It may take us 10 years, but you're going to read the Bible. And, um, and I pray that it has challenged you. Will you just bow your heads with me, and I'll just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I, I'm so grateful for your grace. God, thank you for the men and the women that have um, come before us, God, that have set a foundation, that have spoke truth to us, God, and, and not even realizing that maybe the effects that they would have for generations, for centuries, Lord, um, for, for uh, even millennials, Lord, uh, millenniums, Lord. I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just, Lord, let these words of, of Paul just resonate in our hearts to a young Timothy. God, give us strength to stand in truth. When we don't know where to turn, God, may we look to your word, Holy Bible, God. And seek answers for life situations right there in that book. God, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God, you are the answer, God, to life situations. Two things, Lord, that I need, the Lord and your grace. And God, I pray today, Lord, if anyone is down in their heart and down in their spirit, God, I pray, Lord, that they would be strengthened mightily by your hand. God, I just pray, Lord, that joy would arise in this house. God, I pray, Lord that your spirit, Lord, would just be all over this place. God, I pray, Lord, that, that this would be a house uh, of prayer, God, a house of light. God, in a dark and a dying world, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage to speak truth in, in love, Jesus. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd just guide us and direct us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Find